Recently, I have been receiving a lot of questions about the development of BPD. Why do I have it? How did my child get it? What did I do to cause my loved one to develop BPD? What did I do to deserve this diagnosis of BPD? I talked briefly in other episodes about the development of BPD, and I want to take the time today to go into more detail about the causes of borderline personality disorder. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. So today I want to talk about what causes borderline personality disorder. We're going to go a little bit more in depth into this today. So there is research that states that if you have borderline personality disorder, it's likely that you have a biological vulnerability to having this disorder, which means that there's you can't control it. It was in your DNA, it's in your genes, maybe it's a neurotransmitter issue. They are not exactly clear on that. That's important to note because, you know, as we dive into this conversation, there isn't going to be a clear truth. There are a lot of things that we just don't know about the human body. We don't know about the brain. And, you know, research is, that's, you know, that's what makes research really important. So that is completely outside of your control. Know that. That if you had a biological vulnerability, not just to have a borderline personality disorder, but to have any mental illness, we cannot control that in the same way that we could not control being born with a disability that you can see, like Down syndrome, like autism in some folks, right? It's important that you see that because when you ask yourself, why does my child have borderline personality disorder? Why do I have this disorder? Why do I have to be different? It is because your genetic predisposition says so. That is just how you were going to be. Now, not everybody who is bio- has the biological vulnerability to have or develop borderline personality disorder develops borderline personality disorder. So you can have the vulnerability and never have the disorder. Um, so, you know, there are also, you've heard the nature-nurture debate, right? There's also the nurture debate. So Marsha Linehan, she was big on this. She developed dialectical behavioral therapy, or DBT. She believed that individuals with borderline personality disorder also came from an invalidating environment. So as you, when you were a little kid, you grew up in a home where your parents were invalidating. And maybe they didn't even know that they were invalidating. This is like me inserting my own theories here, honestly, because... I think that, you know, people born with borderline personality disorder are hypersensitive. Well, we know this, right? This is not something I just think. We know that people with BPD are hypersensitive, that we have temperamental disturbances, that we are overly reactive emotionally, right? So if I'm born born into a home where my parent is sarcastic, is hostile, abusive, negates my perception, and maybe they don't even do it knowingly, but if I'm born into a home like that, could be my early childhood caregiver, could be foster parent, just being exposed to that. And if I'm exposed to it chronically, if that's my 
upbringing the majority of the time, if my parent is sarcastic with me a lot, if they joke with me too much, how about parents who want to be their children's best friend and they blur the boundary and they don't give consequence and they helicopter their child and they rescue their child and they do that repeatedly for years and the child grows up and you're now you're an adult and you have no skills you don't know how to regulate your emotions you don't know how to solve problems but you know you can call mommy or daddy or grandmommy or granddaddy and then they'll rescue you those are the kinds of environments that we grow up in with this biological vulnerability or genetic predisposition and then there's a precipitating event and that would be this invalidating social environment and if we have that card in life then we develop borderline personality disorder and it's tricky because you know if we say oh well it's this invalidating social environment well does that mean then that my mother that my father that whoever raised me caused this oh i better call them and curse them out no 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 because just as i said that all individuals that have a biological vulnerability to having borderline personality disorder do not all develop the disorder the same thing applies you can be raised in an invalidating social environment and not ever develop any kind of disorder because some children are just born more resilient. Some individuals are more resilient. So they have resiliency in their DNA and you know, they just don't have that issue as they grow up. And we don't know why. We don't. So it's important that we don't look to who we can blame especially as individuals with borderline personality disorder, because boy, do we like to take responsibility that we should be accepting within our own selves. And we like to put that onto other people, right? So if I can call and blame my mother for this, then I'm good to go. It was her fault. It was her fault, right? So I really just encourage you when you're thinking about the development of borderline personality disorder, that you first look at the research, look at what it's saying, And then look at your own life and see, does this align? Well, if you say, well, no, my family was great. Okay, well, you had a biological vulnerability then, and I'm sorry. So we have to mourn the loss then for the life that we thought that we would live. And if you had the biological vulnerability, maybe you have intergenerational trauma. So you know, okay, well, this is definitely in the water. This is in my genes. And... You see traits of borderline personality disorder or disordered behavior in your early childhood caregivers. And then you can say, okay, that's definitely me. And then you have choices. You can choose to continue the pattern of abuse that's gone on in your family for years, this intergenerational trauma. You can choose to say, okay, you know, I'm throwing my hands up in the air. I have a biological vulnerability rose and I had an invalidating social environment, so I'm never going to get better. This is it. This is just the way it's going to be. I'll just keep fighting with my family and this is my life. Or you can say, okay, I've taken a look. I've I've taken a look at what causes BPD and I'm still not quite sure where I fall. I'm not quite sure what I want to do with that information. But I do know that I have a bit of a direction to go in. 
And it's really helpful to have a bit of a direction to go in. Because if you say, Rose, I did have an invalidating social environment. I don't care what my mother says, my father says. I don't care what those people that raised me says. They didn't love me. Well, then you were raised in an invalidating social environment. Why? Well, a minute ago, I said also that researchers are saying that we're hypersensitive and we're overly emotional and we're reactive. So if you're born as a hypersensitive child and you are overly emotionally reactive and you engage in hyperbolic behavior because you have a hyperbolic temperament and you have a parent that does not know how to parent you because they don't see it. There's not education. There's not a book that says, oh, here's, you know, this is your child. You know, this child doesn't have one of the three temperaments that we always talk about, but they have this other temperament over here and it's a bit disturbed. And so if you do X, Y, and Z, you can build resiliency in your child. And here's how you handle a child like that. It doesn't happen. So your parent was probably doing the best they could with what they had. And I'm going to hope that the best they could do wasn't abusing you. But if they were doing the best they could with what they have, which the majority of people that I have met, parents and people who've had parents who have children with BPD, for the majority of those people, they're doing the best they can. And unfortunately, the best they can wasn't good enough for us. And so we do perceive that the behaviors that they engage in as abusive behaviors, maybe you were at dance class and you were insecure because your mother wanted so badly for you to be the best little dancer that you were scared you were going to fail. And maybe you had to go to the bathroom so bad, but you were so terrified of asking questions because you were scared of the reaction that your mother would give that you would pee your pants. And then maybe you're, you got your mother got frustrated at you and she had it all on video camera and she showed it to your family and laughed at you and they all laughed, right? Okay, that sounds horrible to someone with BPD. This actually happened to me. So that sounds horrible to someone with BPD. But to my brothers, to anyone else who had resiliency, who was not as hypersensitive as I was, they would have laughed at that. But years later, even as I tell this story, it makes me mad makes me upset to think that my mother thought it was hilarious that she caught on camera and would tell everyone that I peed my pants at my five-year-old dance recital at the local community rec center. So for me, I was a hypersensitive child and incidents like that that could be a drop-in-the-bucket benign thing to someone else were traumatic to me in my hyperbolic perception. So then let's take people who have had actual abuse, right? Like, Sexual trauma. Children who were sexually traumatized, who were sexually abused, excuse me. These are some of the most disturbing cases, right? I mean, my goodness, to be a child and to, to know that adults can hurt you in that way. You, you learn very early on that adults can't keep you safe. They can't protect you. The world is scary, right? So think of that. It's just such an, an intense environment to be raised in. And let's say you have the biological vulnerability to have a personality disorder. Well, the odds are really high that you'll get it. But just because you've been sexually abused and you have this vulnerability, it doesn't mean that you'll get 
borderline personality disorder. I mean, look at that story I just told you. That's not being sexually abused. That's my mother making poking fun at me for peeing my pants. I was old enough. I should ask to go to the bathroom. That's not sexual abuse, but I developed borderline personality disorder. I have worked with clients who were brutally abused. Sexually, emotionally neglected. They didn't develop borderline personality disorder. So I really hope that this helps you see that there isn't a clear-cut path. Everybody wants an answer. There isn't one. There is a mourning the loss, though. I mentioned that a little bit ago. You should definitely mourn the loss of the life that you wanted to have. Absolutely. I have a client. She's amazing. She's in her recovery process now. And she's been working with me for around about three months, and she's almost in the clear. She's just at the part where there are nuances of social behavior that she has to figure out. She sent this post, and it, you know, it said something like, in order to build a new life, you have to mourn the old you. And you do. You are actually, this is the, the, the phoenix rising, honestly. That's the um, logo for Jay and I's business. So we have the phoenix as the logo for Thrive Mind Body because a phoenix dies and then you know, rises from the ashes, right? And so this is important that you do that. If you're out there and you have mental illness, if you have borderline personality disorder, mourn the loss of the life that you thought that you were going to have. It's time. Rather than just saying, I have a disorder, I have a disorder, woe is me, woe is me. Oh, Rose, you're a victim blamer. It's not my fault. Stop that narrative. Don't do that. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help you. Okay? So... You have to really be willing to mourn the loss of the life that you thought that you were going to have. And if you're a parent out there and you're just racking your brain, why does my teenager act like this? Well, look in the mirror and see, is there anything you did that could contribute to it? Knowing what you know about BPD, is your perception vastly different than your child's perception? Were you sarcastic? Were you well-meaning but sarcastic? Okay? So answer those questions. And if you can say, no, 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 I did the best that I could, and, and, and I was a great parent, I did everything, I was, you know, so great, well, mourn the loss. Just because you didn't have a child with a visible disability, like a Down syndrome child, wonderful, they're amazing people, by the way. People with Down syndrome are some of the most loving, caring people. I just use that as an example because it's a very visible disability. So just because you didn't have a child who has a visible disability doesn't mean your child doesn't have a problem. So rather than racking your brain to find an answer, a cure, all these things, start looking at perception. If you argue with your child... And there's these huge blowout, tumultuous arguments. I heard somebody, actually I read somebody on a message group, and they said um, that whenever their daughter has a tantrum, kids like 16, 17, they call the police. Okay, well, come on. Your child is 16, 17 years old, so if you're calling the police on your child because they're having a tantrum, that problem started way before 16, 17. So you have to think about that. Think about what can I do? How can I change to help my child? Maybe your child's 30 and you're an adult listening to this. Fine. And maybe your 30-year-old is still throwing tantrums. Okay. So what do you do? 
figure out what the perception of your child is. I mean, I don't know how many times a day I say to a parent, it doesn't matter whether or not you did anything wrong. Why does that matter? Were we going to split hairs over whether or not you were sarcastic over a chronic, or I'm sorry, over a long period of time and you were chronically sarcastic and you caused BPD? Is that really what we should be talking about right now? Or should we be talking about the fact that your perception as someone who is neurotypical, perhaps, right, doesn't match the perception of your child, doesn't match the perception of your loved one, just as Jay and I talked about in the last episode. We see things differently. So if you cannot meet your child, your loved one, where they are, if you cannot at least try to see their perception, then you're not helping them. Isn't that what you're asking them to do? Just remember that. As a parent, guardian, loved one of someone with borderline personality disorder, complex PTSD, emotionally unstable personality disorder, or any other mental illness, you are asking your loved one to see the world from your point of view. You're begging them, please don't kill yourself. I love you way too much for that. Way too much. So... Why not turn towards your loved one and just live in their reality? So you think I don't love you. What makes you think I don't love you? Oh, you think that I thought that Susie was a better basketball player than you? Why would you think that? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you think that. You know, my hope is the person with borderline personality disorder is sort of blown away by that. Because usually you'd say, no, 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 no. I didn't think that. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. (laughs) I thought you were a great basketball player. So maybe that was your old reaction and this is your new reaction and the walls come down and, you know, that would be a great story. But maybe your son or daughter or or loved one with BPD... (laughs) Maybe the wall stays up because they don't trust that you're telling the truth. And so they're skeptical of you. So keep going. Keep at it. Don't give up on them. Don't give up. Because you're saying, my loved one is different. And this is for people who have, I mean, I really want to stop a minute and just say this is for people who have relatives, right, with with borderline personality disorder. I think it's different if you're talking about you're just dating someone. You might need to give up on the person with BPD if you're just not committed or you're not, you know, ready to make the kind of commitment that I'm talking about. But if you're a loved one of someone with BPD, don't give up. Stay committed to them. If you want them to get better, you can't just say, oh my gosh, this is horrible. This is affecting our whole family. What do I do? I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm sending them to the therapist. The therapists don't want them. The hospitals don't want them. Nobody wants them. I don't know what to do with this kid. Like, what am I supposed to do? If I give her, if I discipline my child, they'll say that they're going to kill themselves. Now, I mean, this one is rough for me. I know I probably did that as a kid. I'm sure a lot of you out there who have borderline personality disorder have done this as teens. Or maybe even when someone's going to break up with you, oh, I'm going to kill myself. It's a great tool to use to manipulate the world around you so that you don't have to be rejected. 
But if you are a parent of a child and you're worried that giving them a consequence is going to make them kill themselves or cut themselves, then what else can you do? How much do you really love your child? What are you willing to do to help them? Are you willing to take away their phone? Take away their car keys? Teach them things in the world? Get a different job so you're not working around the clock so you never see your kid? Right? So you have to think, what am I doing to contribute to the perpetual mental illness discussions that we have in our home, to the arguing, to the fighting? What am I doing? And if I want my child to change and go through treatment after treatment after treatment, am I willing to change? What behaviors am I willing to change? I've had some teens, some brilliant teenagers work with with me. I can think of one individual in particular, and my goodness, she did it alone. Completely, entirely, and utterly alone, she recovered. Still struggles a little bit. She's young, but she did it alone. Parents couldn't understand it. Parents wouldn't. Child's like, I need consequences. Please give me consequences. Parents were like, meh. You don't. You're just smart. You'll be fine. Child's like, I'm going to cut myself so you can see me. Parents were like, meh. You'll be fine. Not seeing it, not knowing. So she did all the work herself. And she lost respect for her her parents. A lot of respect for her parents. Because she said, I'm, I have to do this. I have to do all of this work. And you don't have to do anything. Nothing. You're not helping me at all. Rose is helping me. Why can't you help me? And she would beg, beg me, ask me, where, what's the answer to the question? Why won't my parent help me? I don't know. I don't know. Because it's easier for us to throw stones. It's just easy. We can keep throwing stones. I mean, we even do this with our children. Why aren't you? Why are you the way you are? Well, what if you had a child who was born with a hyperbolic temperament, who are hypersensitive, and you didn't know how to parent them, even though you did do the best that you could? do and even to this day you're not doing the best you can for your person and to those of you out there who do have borderline personality disorder maybe you can try not using cutting burning drinking heroin really unsafe dangerous deadly behaviors to manipulate and control your loved ones if you're on the path of recovery of course right Maybe the next time your mom tells you that you should clean your room, you don't say, if you tell me to clean my room, I'm so tired, I can't do it, I'm going to burn myself. Or maybe you just sit in your room and you burn yourself just for, just because your mom told you to do something. Think about it. Think about not doing that. Think about trying to meet everyone family, loved ones, and individuals with mental illness, we all need to think about meeting other people where they are. Stop throwing stones in your glass house. Don't point fingers. If you're looking for causes, I gave them to you today. But as you can see, you know, research can't tell us everything. We don't know. And, you know, sometimes, a lot of the time, we spend so much time and energy running around a problem in circles, trying to find answers, spinning our wheels, creating more anxiety, creating more stress. When the answer 
is to go straight through the problem. The only way around your problems is straight through them, folks. Straight through them. So that leads me into the discussion of, okay, we know what causes it. Maybe that's something that had happened for you. So again, what now? And I say this in every episode, moral compass work. Okay, so for the Q&A, I want to talk about something that was brought up in our support group this past Monday night. So if you don't already know this, and this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, I have a Facebook group called From Borderline to Beautiful. It's part of my online mindset coaching and counseling business, Thrive Mind Body LLC. And we have a free support group that I host every Monday night at 7 p.m. EST. And in that group, we were talking about recovery and how to recover. And of course, I know that the way that I recovered and the, the tools that I used worked. So I always want to talk about step one, which is the moral compass work. And one of the group members brought up a really great point, And she's like, I mean, I listened to it, but of course I have core values. Like, come on, Rose, I, I want to be respectful and kind and have integrity and self-discipline. I have all those things. I already know what they are. So if you're out there and you're feeling this way too, which I'd bet a lot of you are, I just want to remind you that you may think that you're an honest person, but if you lie when it benefits you during a BPD episode, you're not an honest person. There are some things in life that are just black and white, okay? You are either you either are loyal or you or you aren't. You either are forgiving or you aren't. So if you choose not to forgive when you're in an argument or feeling insecure or or resentful, you aren't a forgiving person. So you may very well know what morals are and what your core values are. And you may very well think that that episode and that theory of of having a strong moral compass is common sense and you know you don't need to listen to it but I'm I'm going to ask you are you living out your core values or are you living a life that is in direct contradiction to those core values are you letting other people determine your moral compass listen that's dangerous okay we lose our freedom when we do that when we seek external validation for nourishment, we're, we'll never be thirst. We'll never be satisfied. We'll always be thirsty. We'll always be hungry. And when we seek that external validation, even if we think we know that we have core values and we think that we want to be a good person and we think that that's busy work doing the moral compass work and we can't really see how that'll help us. That if we practice those skills on a daily basis and if we define our core values and we figure out what we stand for and we do the identity protocols, you actually take the time to do those things and you write them out. When you are in the middle of a BPD episode, you will be less likely to allow someone else's core values and moral compass to dictate your behaviors and your choices and your decisions. And you'll feel in turn less Anxious, less overwhelmed, less lost, and less like you have no control. 
Because the reality is that we lose control over our lives when we allow other people in the midst of an episode to dictate who we are, what our values are, what we should believe in, and what we should see and think and feel. And there's one thing I'll tell you I know about people with BPD. We like to have control because we can't trust anyone. So if you think that you have a good moral compass, but you still have tantrums, go back and listen to that episode. If you think that it won't work and you have no idea what it is you value and what your goals are, go back and listen to that episode. If you say you want recovery and you say that you like the things that I'm saying, go back and listen to that episode. And start there. If you say that you aren't a liar and you aren't a tyrant, and when you get into an episode and you lie, because in that moment, ooh, it's a little white lie, doesn't matter. It's tiny, Rose, it doesn't matter. I can lie a little bit, everybody lies. If you choose to lie when it benefits you, well, then you're not an honest person. And by default, you know, in a harsher way, you become a liar. So go back to that episode. The same individual asked me then if there was a way that she could, if I had written a blog post. And I said, go back and listen to the episode. Yes, I did write a blog post. ThriveOnlineCounseling.com. You can read about the moral, moral compass. It was the last blog post I wrote. But go back and listen to the episode. Like how committed to you are, are how committed, excuse me, are you to your recovery? Is it really that much of a big deal to go and listen to the episode? I mean, I know the answer to that. I know the answer is yes, because you're in pain and you don't believe that anything will work and you don't believe of all things that that's going to be the thing that works because you have an idea in your head that you already are a good person, right? But the reality is that we are not good people when we're in the middle of a BPD episode, And let's take it a step further because today, earlier, I talked a lot about friends and family and loved ones of people with BPD. So I'm going to switch gears and talk to you a minute. If you want to know how to help the person that you love with BPD, go and listen to the Moral Compass episode. Because if you don't have core values, if you don't know what you stand for, then you can't model that behavior, especially if you have a teen or a younger child or even, you know, actually any age child with BPD, how are you going to help them if you don't know what you stand for, if you can't model appropriate behavior? So you're just going to stand there and tell them that they should do moral compass work? Okay. Isn't that hypocritical? Isn't that throwing stones in your glass house? So for all the friends and family out there that are just exasperated and do not know what it is that they can do to help their family member with BPD, go back and listen to step one. Go back and listen to the Moral Compass episode. Write down your core values. Start to align your behavior with your core values. Go back and then listen to step two. Go back and listen to step three. Bring that to the table when you're having a conversation with your loved one. Because maybe there is truth to what I said earlier, that you're part of the problem. And maybe you don't even know you are. 
But if you want your loved one to recover, I'm telling them, go back and listen to the Moral Compass episode. Put effort into it. Have the discipline. Have the will, the motivation to cultivate the discipline, to listen to the episode, get a pencil and a piece of paper and write down the answers to the questions. And if you don't know, send me an email. Have the discipline to do that. Cultivate it. Cultivate it. And if you're a loved one, do it. Bring it to the table. Ask your loved one to do it. What if they say no? Your teenager says no, she's not doing it. So what? At least you know as a parent that you've done everything you possibly could. You changed for the better and you can look to your child and you can say, there is a better way. I'm sorry that I did this wrong by you. Even if you don't believe you did, you did in their perspective, in their perception, excuse me. So apologize. Do the moral compass work. Self-discipline is hard. Self-discipline should be on your moral compass. Self-discipline is the ability to do something hard consistently and not give up until the task is done. Write out your core values that form your moral compass, put them where you can see them, and then be honest with yourself when you choose to ignore them. Just be honest with yourself. When you become uncomfortable, that's when real change can happen. Do you like what you hear on this podcast? After you listen every week, do you just want to jump two feet into recovery, but you don't really know where to start and you've already listened to the Moral Compass episode, but you need more help? I have great news. I have decided to start two eight-week groups for $29 a person a week at a lower cost than my individual sessions so that we can go through the treatment together. Both groups will have 10 people in each group. One group will be for people with BPD, CPTSD, EUPD, or any of those diagnoses on the spectrum. And the other group will be for loved ones of the diagnosis. So we'll go through the treatment together. We'll start with eight weeks and we'll add on from there. I am so excited for this opportunity and I hope that you reach out to me today to secure your spot. My phone number is 844-984-7483. That's toll free. So give a call, leave a message. You can also shoot me an email at rose at thriveonlinecounseling.com. That'll all be in the show notes. I can't wait to start with you guys. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. 
We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.